Hi guys, before we get started with this week's episode, we just have a little bit of news for you. Oh yes. We do. The news is that we now have a dedicated section on the official Manchester United app just for our podcast. Maisad Garnet, loving it? Yes, loving it. We know what you're thinking. Why should I move my favourite podcast app all the way over to a new app? Well, two reasons. Reason one is that you will get the podcast a whole 24 hours earlier. I think that's a really good reason. That's 24 hours earlier than everywhere else. And you can be first in line to hear every new episode. Yeah, and reason number two is it allows us to bring you so much more than just the episode. So if we talk about goals, you'll be able to see the goals within the app and you'll also see associated articles and something a lot of people have requested. You'll be able to watch more episodes of the podcast all in one place which to me seems sensational Mm -hmm. but if you're not convinced and want to stay where you are that's fine too we'll still bring you our pods right here every week as usual right here right now but also if you're on the app you won't have to sit through us telling you all this every time that's good isn't it yeah because this is going to get repeated if you're listening on something else but not on the app Uh, anyway that's it the official Manchester United app now has a podcast section loads going on in there check it out now on with this episode download the app Hello and welcome to incredibly the 100th episode of the United Podcast. I genuinely can't believe we've been doing it that long. I can't believe the names that we've had over the 100 episodes. And I can't believe, like, Maisie, you've survived 100 episodes without getting cancelled for all the things you say. Thanks, Sam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it myself, to be fair. 100. How long is it? 18 months? Yeah, something like that. The, I can something tell you. like that? Two years, No. Over two years. Over two years. We did no the first way. Brian Robson, September. Yeah, the 28th of October, 2019, was uh, Robbo Part 1. That's when it was released. Yeah, we did it in September, I think. So that's how long we've been doing this. Wow. Yeah. That's over two, two years. years. Two months. Pretty impressive. A lot has happened in that time, guys. So much has happened. Obviously, we started and we would go and meet people and do tours and talk to them and stuff. And then we spent a lot of time like this on Zoom. We've had two babies. Yeah, uh, that's true. You two have. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, by the time our 200th episode goes out, Maisie, you could have grandchildren. Oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Don't be like that. No way. Hell no. No, no. It's bad enough having you two. Oh, little granddad Maisie. That'd be oh, cute. God. You could dress as Father Christmas like you do for Helen's kids. <laughs> yeah. Scare the hell out of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, So for this episode, we are going to focus on the last 50 episodes because when we hit 50, we did a, we've made it to 50, these are our favourite moments, so now we're doing, we've made it to 100, these are our favourite moments, but we're not going to cover the first 50 again because we've already done those. So we're talking the last 50 episodes. Yeah. Also, if you are not um, someone who listens to the podcast in the app and you use maybe a different platform, you might be on, say, for example, it might say Joe Jordan, 103 But that's because some episodes have been repeated in there. And um, right now, this is our 100th episode recording. So if you take out the repeats and stuff, this is it. This is episode 100 happening now. Our last podcast of 2021. Yeah. What's your... Let's let's do New Year's resolutions. Sam? I've never done a New Year's resolution. I've never, I've never, uh, do you do them? You you go first and give me some idea of what you go for. Not really, to be honest. I always think I would like to... Cut down on Diet Coke. Cut down on Diet Coke, mm. but yeah. you know what? Sense. I just like it too much. What's the point? Yeah, you're yeah, already down to enough. what? Five litres a day? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm not going to be making any this year. Maisie? I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a dry January. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Cle- cleanse the body. Nice. Producer Tasker, any New Year's resolutions for you? 
to make another 50 excellent episodes of the podcast oh, with you guys. Look. Oh, look. Typical nice. producer answer. <laughs> ever, that is good. Ever the professional. Oh, what a guy. What a guy. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to bring episode 50 to 100 to, sorry, 51 to 100 to everybody. We've had some really big names in that time. I mean, where else can we start except at episode 87? It took 87 episodes to get there, but we finally got Sir Alex Ferguson, a pinnacle for all of us. Absolutely. Certainly for me. Maisie, how did that moment feel for you? Yes, it was good catching up with the gaffer again. Um, Oh, look. Catching up, I know, I know, but that's it though. Is it's so special, and do you know what? After what he's been through, he looks an absolute million dollars, he really does. It was extraordinary to sit in his company for that length of time and try to have conversations that weren't the things we already know and just let him talk. And some of it, I think, was like it was all brilliant, but there was just some little snippets, like his story about the Oscars. It was just gold. When I asked him what was on his bucket list and he said... Great question. Well, done that, going to the Oscars. Thank you, Maisie. Thank you. <laughs> Great question. It is. Did you have a little bit of a bucket list when you retired? Yeah. Have you ticked anything yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to the Oscars. I've been to... <laughs> that is I not what I expected. <laughs> not I what a normal person's bucket list <laughs> consists of. What was it like? <laughs> it was fantastic, yeah. It was uh, it was amazing because we were in um, well the the the, the war palace for all the actors and their families and all that. We were in the next tier. You know something I couldn't believe. There's a woman sitting in front of me playing poker in a machine. <laughs> I swear. I was saying, what a waste of a ticket. <laughs> really? Why is there even a poker machine in there? No, she didn't on rap. a phone. Yeah. What? She had a, 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 in her lap. She's playing poker. Oh. <laughs> waste Honestly. Of a couldn't believe it. So the Oscars was one. What else was on that Oscars bucket list? Was, I was at the, the night before the Oscars, the big duo one at the, at the Beverly Hills. That's where they gave all the gifts and all that. You know, it's, you got a lot of gifts and that. But And the Oscar itself, it was good. I went to the Vanity Fair party after it, you know. Uh, it was good. It was really good. And then I went to the Masters. Mm. And uh, I'm still trying to get my wife to agree when I go to the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> I think that's 4 one. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance of that. But, and uh, I was at Kentucky Derby. Martin, uh, Jason with, went with my, my lawyer in New York. We went there. It was fantastic. We were at the same table as um, Harry Connick Jr., you know, mm-hmm. the actor, a really nice man. He was really, really good with his family. And we had a really good time at that. So I've, I've taken a few things. A few things. Obviously, COVID's. Probably oh, yeah. I mean, ruined your bucket list you know, a little bit. You know something? I never went out of the house for four months. How yeah. difficult was that for you? No I mean, problem. we've all got busy lives, but none no problem. more so. Really? Not a bad problem. You enjoyed it? I, I, well, I, I can never be bored. Honestly, I always find something. You read, there are plenty of books I can read. You read the TV. I, I, I was starting to, you know, to do the cooking with Kathy. was probably her, her back in that, you know. So I did, I was, I was, I was occupied it all day, you know, I found it, you know. What, no what was on the menu? I can cook. Go on can then. You? I'm not bad, I'm not what? bad. What's, what's, what would be, uh, anything? anything? Yeah. Speciality of anything? No speciality. No, just. Yeah. I actually worked in the kitchen for uh, for a year when I was young. You didn't know that, eh? No. And no. The, the, the manager was Kenny Degosius' father-in-law. 
<laughs> he was a good cook. He was he was a very good publican. Actually, it was a pub pub restaurant place. She's not far from me. You know, just around the corner from me. And uh, I was in there for about a year. What a bucket list. I mean, who has the Oscars on their bucket list? Exactly. How do you get, yeah, I'll, I'll just ring whoever and just get on the bucket yeah. list. Yeah, get on the guest list of the Oscars. All general things, going to horse racing and other stuff you mentioned, is quite doable. Also, worth um, remembering that he told us that he watches them, like these episodes. So he might be watching this now. If you are, I hope you're having a lovely day, sir. <laughs> he does watch them. Yeah, but he might he might not watch a compilation. The absolute pinnacle for all of us. Very good. Yeah, it was amazing. And for our listeners, I would say probably too. Let me check my stew. My shoe? Stew. Checking on a stew. Keep going. Do we keep going? We need you back in the room. I'm right here. Oh, so the MUTV viewers are just... Now she's tasting it. You can hear her tasting it. No, I'm putting this away and I have to do it when it's hot. Oh, my God. Tasker, you've just got to keep this in. What I like is we've maintained a level of professionalism throughout. 100 episodes, yeah. At no point is anyone taking this seriously. Where the f*** has she gone? I'm here! Where? I, what? I, bought, I didn't buy Maris Pipers. I bought different potatoes. It's not, it's not good. Right, done. That's a relief. Right, Sam, go to... Sam, if you would, if you would just explain what's just happened there, because I will be keeping that in, and then move on to Rio Fitner. We had a brief <laughs> pause there, so Helen could go and add Bisto to her stew. I'm not entirely sure what Bisto is, Wouldn't but... you've uh, got hungry children coming home? You have to have your dinner ready, guys. Okay. Well, let's immediately move on from that to Rio Ferdinand, shall we? How good was he? I thought it was great. I loved that one as well because we did the little tour of Old Trafford. That was yeah, fun, wasn't it? Very nice. Sitting in the dressing room with him and he's there immediately pointing to places and you can see in his head he's thinking of the players that were there and the moments that they shared and stuff. And obviously talking about Robbie Savage's incident in the tunnel as well was particularly funny. Yeah. <laughs> Huge character. And he's won it all. Yeah. He has won it all. A touching moment, Sam, is when he talked about tearing up. Yeah, just ahead of lifting the Champions League trophy and he had a few words with Sir Bobby Charlton and then Nemanja came in and this feels like the most Nemanja Vidic thing ever of not here. One thing that would be great to talk about and a night that wasn't here but you got to wear the armband, we played against an English team and you won the Champions League. Mm. What did that feel like? No, it was, um, yeah, that's, that's the stuff of dreams. I think you, uh, that for me was the icing on the cake in my whole career at United. I think winning the leagues and different cups that you win, the Champions League is like the holy grail yeah. of club football. So to be able to kind of lead the team out, get to the, to the final stages and then obviously get to lift it and win it, it was just like, wow. That's like, that's the most emotional I've ever been on a football pitch in my life. Yeah, yeah, mate. I was, I was. Vida went to be real. Stop, stop. Not here. Not here. <laughs> it was Sir Bobby. Sir Bobby Charlton was talking to me just before he we went and lifted the trophy, and he was just talking to me about about, about the history and like, do you know like who's lifted it? And just going through a little bit of the ages, a little bit with me, and then the magnitude of what you do, yeah, yeah. just hit me at that moment, and I started going. My mouth started going, and um, Vida went, Ferdich, not here. Not here. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it myself and I was aware. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, cra- it was crazy. It was a mad experience. <laughs> Maisie, were you a crier on the pitch? No. Never? No, I do get emotional watching, watching stuff back. 
Yeah, I really Watching do. stuff back, but at the moment? Uh, no, no. You I'm never got in, emotional? No, I'm just in the moment. I think when you win things, somewhere I, I become a fan and I just live the moment. And I, I think there's nothing better sharing, whether you win the league, the cups, whatever it is, sharing it with the fans. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm quite surprised that you've never, I've never thought of that actually, but like treble season, I would have expected a tear or two out of you. No, because you're just in the now, aren't you? You're in the moment, so you're just doing your job and then that's it. But looking back at it, looking back on the travel, yeah, talking about it, it, it brings floods of um, emotion back. It really does. Mm-hmm. Particularly watching on TV and stuff like that. I think it's so cool. Nice plug. <laughs> it, t- it touches actually on something that I thought when I was thinking about these 50 episodes. And I know we're talking now about the players we've had on and Rio and Sir Alex, and we've had a lot of winners. And... You're saying like when you're in the moment, you're just getting on with it and you're winning and it's your job and you you know, that's what you're there for. And I think something that's really occurred to me a lot over the last 50 episodes and the people we've spoken to that I think maybe I hadn't quite realised before and maybe other fans have had the same experience as me. Like when players are signed to football clubs, let's say let's say United by, let's say Maisie, when you're playing, United by a centre-back. Mm-hmm. Your mindset is like people that really like you are going to go, yeah, but I like David May. Why are you buying someone else to David May's place? Is David May going to play as much? What's going to happen there? But the people we speak to, that never enters their minds. They just want winners in the dressing room. They want the best possible players. There's no like concern for, oh, what about my place? And if they have that mindset, then they wouldn't be at Manchester United, would they? That's a very good point, Sam. It is. You can only compete against yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you play for United... You have to win. You have to be a winner. And whoever the manager is, obviously I only worked under Sir Alex, but you knew that he was going to bring players in because that's what the club does. It has to bring the best players in. And whether that's in your position, whether that's a centre forward or whoever it is, the club have to keep moving forward. And if that's in your position, then you've just got to step up to the plate and try and keep them out of your position. But listen, the club goes forward. The club has to keep moving forward and progressing and because I suppose Rio Rio did sign didn't he when you were there uh, yeah I just had probably a year with Rio but yeah you know he's, he's world class and that's what Manchester United need is world class players and Rio certainly was one of them speaking also, of world class go on yeah Wayne Rooney yeah just, just slightly what a ridiculous talent incredible talent Wayne Rooney when we did that episode was still a player coach at Derby and of course now He's the manager. A lot has happened since episode 77. Babies, new management. Yeah, it's all happening. <laughs> How would you uh, summarise your relationship with the fans at Old Trafford and, and with United fans globally? Yeah, I think it's, it's good. I think it's, it obviously took a, a hit in 2010 um, when I asked to leave the club. Um, which I get, I understand um, the frustration from the fans over that. And, um, but I think, again, there was other things which was going on and I had frustrations of myself with the way the club was going. We'd sold Tevez, we sold Ronaldo and United had asked me, um, offered me a new five-year deal. So that was going to be my last contract, really, of, of big contract where... I was probably coming into the peak of me, of me career, and really I wanted assurances of we're selling these players who are we going to bring mm-hmm. in, 
um, because are we going to build for the next three years, which then basically I think we need to to go for players who are proven players. So that was where I was at and I think rightly so. The manager told me it was none of my business, which I said, that's fine. I completely respect your decision on that and you're the manager. Um, but if you can't give me them assurances, then um, it's best to leave the club. So it was all quick and it's something I regret now, obviously. Um, I went to speak to David Gill then um, after that and obviously he was a bit more calmer than than what Sir Alex was at the time and I think it was two or three days down the line that mm -hmm. I'd actually signed the deal. So it was all something which happened really quickly and probably decisions were getting made um, on emotions rather than, you know, really sitting down and thinking them through. Do you regret that decision because of the way it left you and Sir Alex at that period? I know obviously it was was fine in the end, but do you regret it for, for that aspect? Do you regret it personally? Do you regret it coming out? What do you regret about that? Yeah. Because you took a lot I of think, flack, you and your family at that time too, didn't you? Yeah. Like protests and, I, and stuff. I, I think... Um, in terms with the manager, I always had a, a great relationship with the manager and I think um, after that, there was times where like, most games at halftime, me and the manager had each other. I think the manager loved that and he knew doing that to me was getting a message to the players as well, Giggsy a lot of the time as well. So it was me and Giggsy um, and the manager always had each other basically. <laughs> um, and then after that, I think that went a little bit, which, but always after, when that was happening, always after the game, like the manager might walk down the bus and give you a slap on the back of the head to, that's his way of saying, that's it. That's, that's over, uh, yeah. move on. And so that was always the case. But then I think after that, it was, obviously I still to this day, got great respect for the manager, but there was just them little moments in dressing rooms, mm -hmm. which, um, we're missing a little bit, which... Um, or he's giving everybody else in the changing room a high five and misses you out. <laughs> no, no, he's still... He <laughs> never got to that point, but it was just a something which was was still there, but as I said... Um, yeah, but that's your character though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it, it almost took a, a bit of that out of me and mm. a bit out of him as well in, in that sense. And, um, but it's, I think it, it is what it is and... Um, I think the important thing was we got it sorted out quite quickly and, and moved on and obviously went on. I think the next year we won the league again. So In that few days of you saying to the gaffer, right, you want to leave, or to David Gill, did you have any options of going anywhere else or did you have anything lined up or could you have gone anywhere? Yeah, there was options. I think it was... You're probably one of the best players in the world, so... Yeah, no, I think it was... No, I think it was obviously well document, documented the um, Chelsea were within and Mourinho yeah. wanted to sign me. There was a game, wasn't there? I think it was here where we played them and it seemed like it from the outside anyway, the media certainly read into it that he, he didn't play a forward for, in his starting 11 and that was read to be him saying, Wayne, here's a space. There's yeah. a big hole no, here. I don't about that. No, but... Um, there was um, Real Madrid in Barcelona so there was t teams who and um, Man City thing keeps cropping up and it was like there was, there was never an option for me to go there but obviously 
that was there was rumours on that as well. Um, but the other three really were the more realistic options. I was ready to, I was in my head at the time in that two day period. Basically, I was ready to go and play in Spain. He was just so honest in that podcast. One thing about Wayne Rooney that always stands out for me in interviews is actually always really articulate. Mm. I actually love listening to him speak. We just didn't get long enough with him for that one. Yeah, everybody got annoyed with me because I had to end it. Yeah, you were very abrupt. Because that was it. We were told that was the end. There's not a lot you can do. But he did but say he, he did was going to come back yeah, for he's gonna come back episode on. two. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, as you say, Alan, I think when you listen to him, you listen to him in depth. So much as he's the club record goal scorer, it just comes across as like just, well, I was just doing my job. Yeah. But you, you mentioned there he's the club's record goal scorer. Manchester United's record goal scorer. And, I mean, in the next six months or whatever, I'm sure Harry Kane will go past Wayne Rooney. But right now, he is England's record goal scorer. And for almost none of his career did he play as a proper number nine. He just went wherever he was needed. He sacrificed constantly to be a team player, whether that meant he was playing slightly wide or slightly deep. Like, it didn't matter. I don't think he ever looked, it doesn't sound like he ever looked at goal records or ever chased goal records and yet here he is with two of the best ones on the planet I think the thing about Wayne Rooney though he just loves playing football mm-hmm. Yeah. lots of people going forward after their teenage years it's just a job but he genuinely loves football loved playing football and wanted to be involved for as long as he could that's why maybe he went back into the midfield and just played a part wherever Sir Alex needed yeah. him yeah. someone who maybe I don't know if they loved football but definitely loved scoring goals was Ruud van Nistelrooy. Like, just loved him when I was a kid and every time United scored, I'd be like, that'll be Ruud. And of course it was. Even the thought of him getting on the bus to see how other players... Yeah. See if they've scored. Yeah, it was Henri, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like the drive and the determination to become the leading goal scorer in Europe for the Golden Boot or in the Premier League. That's Who how told much he us that scoring. story before? Scolzi. Was it Scolzi? Yeah. Mm. So even to his teammates, the fact that they all knew that just a absolute born winner. Also, how uh, I mean, this was a this was a difficult conversation for me because I've held on to a real intense hatred of Martin Keown for years, and then Rude was like, "No, no, he's a really nice guy. It's absolutely fine." I just want to ask you about another rivalry. Paul Scholes has recently been on our podcast too, and he said that you almost had a personal vendetta against Henri to outscore him that was Paul Scholes' words not mine but (laughs) how much of that is truth Mm, well I I was I I just wanted to be the 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 top scorer in the league and um, of course it it was and I was checking that as well Uh, who's uh, you know I remember of course Jerry was always there um, and um High in the in, in the goal scoring uh, in in the league, so I checked. Uh, yeah, has he scored? Of course, and then how 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 are things going? Yes, I did <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That, and that rivalry pushes you, you know, to yeah, of course, to to uh, yeah, to to perform. When I think of your career and the big games and the big moments, so many of them came against, which is funny now because obviously they're a mid-table club, but against Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> the table club, yeah, they are now, huh? Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It was, but that was the rivalry, you know, uh, yeah, of the top contenders at the time, I guess. 
and uh, it it became a rivalry of individuals and 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 and, and incidents and I don't know it was traditional rivalry I, I don't think United and Arsenal were that much of a rivalry I don't I don't know in historically no. I think it's just that era where for for about ten years they fought together for everything and I think yeah. in that time like United won almost every Premier League title and Arsenal won three and that made them the only challengers I guess for for a period um, but there's so yeah. many for you there's I mean there's Martin Keown there's the penalties there's um, was it Vieira got sent off for stamping on you and they well, claimed that, that you can made but that was that was all in one incident there were like 20 21 <laughs> <20 laughs> that was that, that afternoon that yeah. ignited yeah. Sort of the yeah but but that wasn't exa- that that was more personal towards me. I, I, yeah. I recall. Yeah, they hated you. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't exactly that uh, that club rival. I don't know. It, in that day, in that afternoon, it, the penalty miss mm-hmm. and the red card and and the, after the game incident, that that was kind of going uh, making it all go ballistic a little bit. Were you still more annoyed about missing the penalty? Yeah. Than anything going around you? Yeah, I, I couldn't care less. Well, well, I was just so sick, <laughs> sick of the of the penalty miss. It was nil nil for God's sake yeah. in the last minute yeah. against Arsenal. You know, it was a huge penalty, and and I, I I smacked it on the crossbar and 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 didn't win the game for 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 the club and for the, for the team. And obviously with with descending off and and it, the, the, and and being. Um, of course, the, the Arsenal players were were still uh, uh, unbeaten because of that. Also, yeah. so that reaction was also there, and it it, it went uh, to to me because of the the, the yellow card of Vieira. But I, I was uh, go. I was just running inside to to just you know sit in the corner of the dressing room for a while. <laughs> Was yeah. that? Do you, do you have any memories of what happened with like Martin Keown? Because I, I think I'm quite a laid back, very generally sort of nice person with not a lot going on. But ever since then, I have carried an intense dislike of Martin Keown. Uh-huh. He's the only person on the planet that I irrationally hate. <laughs> I've never met him. And for all I know, he's a nice yeah. man. But for that one afternoon, he did yeah. things that I've never been able to forgive. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a, a great image where he was sort of flying uh, above me. And then, uh, but the, the thing is, he, he's actually the, the nicest man you'll ever nice meet outside a yeah. football pitch. Yeah. It's too late but for me. We, we, we all, we all ch- tend to change a little bit between those uh, white lines, you know. And, and when things get, get fired up and, 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 and um, pressure is on, and, and um, yeah, you, you're capable of doing things, you know, that, that don't look the best. When you look back on it, but same, same for me, same for, for him and and everyone who played, I guess. That was really that was tough to listen to. <laughs> and Maisie, you said he's a really nice guy. And Rude really likes Maisie too. He was so happy to see you when we logged on. Yeah, yeah, I love Rude. To consider that the amount of goals he scored for Manchester United, he only scored one outside the box. His last one too. That is an incredible record. Was it? it was under how many task? Was it 143? I think he scored 150 in total in 250 games off the top, off the top of my head. 150, bang on. 150. In how many games? 219. That is an unbelievable record, by the way. Yeah, his goal record's amazing. Every 84 minutes, would it be a goal? Something oh. like that? 
quick maths. Something like that. Tasker will find out how. I don't even know how to is. begin doing that maths. What's that? What do you do? What's well, the sum? one every one every ninety, 90 would be times. would be hundred and fifty and hundred and fifty. So it will be slightly more than ninety minutes. It will it would be like no, it'd be, every it'd be more when it be every ninety six yeah. minutes. Two nineteen like times ninety is. 19. There's no point working out. I think it's a goal every 131 minutes. So it's a no, game and a half, that, every game and a half. That, that's pretty shit, isn't it? That, <laughs> that <way. laughs> what, what was yours, Maisie? How many goals? How many games? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think we had the biggest name in British football this year. I don't think there's anybody who's been more important, um, more talked about than Marcus Rashford in 2021 for everything he's done on and off the pitch. And so to get to sit and talk to him and listen about his life and his journey and his inspirations was really cool. And quite quite apt that we did that podcast when he was behind uh, Perspex screen. That kind of summed up 2021 and 2020, might I add. But he has just done incredible things in the last year and a half and still continues to do so. Obviously, he's got his book out now as well. I've seen that in all the bookshops. And he's an MBA. He's finished the year with a honour. Should have been a yeah. knighthood. Plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, he told a story, didn't he, about how if even if he wasn't a footballer, like when he was younger, he would just go out and try and help people. Like if there were homeless people in Manchester, just if he was buying them a sandwich, it's buying them a sandwich. And it, you just think that's why he's doing what he's doing now, because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, I mean, we, we have people that listen in like Guatemala and Vietnam and, and they won't know about a lot of the stuff you're doing off the pitch because it doesn't affect where they live and yeah. their focus is football. And, you know, that's what this podcast is for. But we do talk about people's lives because we want to get to know a bit more than just the the face that you see on like a TV screen. Yeah. Um, and two things that seem genuinely remarkable is that you managed to force a government U-turn twice. <laughs> it, I mean... The second time must have felt like when they when they pledged four hundred million must have felt like well I, I guess I mean I don't know how that could have felt like but it must have been special. I I feel like the the had things in place mm-hmm. and I like I just I was the voice of people that didn't agree with it, um, and then I just basically just said it, mm-hmm. um, and then they opened their eyes and and they seen that maybe he's he's got a point and. And then that's where the change comes from. So I'm not like against government or anything. I said this at the beginning mm-hmm. of everything, like it's nothing to do with politics or me against the government. It's just like if they if they seen the things that I've seen in like mm-hmm. in my community or in communities around around the country, there's no way they'd make the decisions that they make. Like for me growing up, I, I said this to people that like, I feel like I started my journey like imagine it was like a race 100 meter sprint I was like 20 meters behind the the starting position and like I see it so many times and now that I'm in a position to change it I couldn't just not do anything about it because um, a lot of kids from communities they don't they don't get to where they could have got to because they're starting a million miles behind everyone else so it's they're not having a fair a fair chance Mm. And we're very proud that he has come through the ranks at Manchester United. Well done, Marcus. Episode 77 was Mark Hughes. And I remember when I was talking to some people about the podcast and they were saying, oh, Mark Hughes won't do that. He's not really into interviews. Well, he was into our interview. Yeah, very chatty. I have to say that's been one of my favourites out of the 100. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was great because I suppose for you and me, Helen, Mark Hughes was Manchester City manager. Yeah, two- although I do remember my brother always watching DVDs of Mark Hughes whenever I was younger. So I still classify him as associated with Manchester United, yeah. even though I am younger, but I do. Legend. He was absolutely fantastic and he really, really opened up. Yeah. Also, I loved his story about playing two games in the same day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the one where he flew to... Yeah. Where did he fly G- to? Germany. Yeah. Germany. I think the thing about Mark Hughes is that he's had such a long career as a player, but also as a manager. There was just so much to cover. Yeah. And he still wants to get back into it. I know. I think he's he would have won over a lot of Manchester United fans who do associate him with City after that podcast, especially after the answer when we asked him about a recommendation. Was it hard leaving United then for Chelsea? Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because, um, like I said, I still felt I could do a job for for United, but the reality was I wasn't going to play week in, week Mm. out. So uh, I remember telling my my little lad, um, Alex, who he would have been, he would have been six or seven, I think, by then, um, that I was leaving United. And... uh, he started crying, bless him, and I'm thinking, oh goodness me, I didn't realise that he, he understood I yeah. play for United. Um, so that touched me and my wife when we, we told him. And uh, ever since, I don't think he ever supported any of the teams that he I played for, with. Because yeah. he always used to say, uh, I don't support anybody, I just support my dad. So I think it was just a consequence yeah, again, yeah. too close to United, I think. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, he didn't make the mistake again. Mark, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We always ask our guests, though, if they have a recommendation for our next podcast. Is there anybody you would recommend an ex-teammate, maybe? That's an interesting one. We have had Mickey, so... All right. Um, <laughs> and Ryan Giggs, if we're going down the Welsh route. Yeah. Uh, no one off the top of my head. I, I think anybody who's got a backstory who's had a, a period at this club we will always have a story to mm-hmm. tell because it's a special place and and... Anybody who's won the, the Red Shirt Man United is, is a very fortunate guy and uh, and it's it's always been a big part of my life and it's, it's something I always look back with with fond memories and thankfully during my time we, we were able to win trophies and uh, have those memories always there for people maybe. And uh, if you've only been just a small part of the, the history of United, it's, it's something that you'll always remember. Mm-hmm. So thank Perfect. you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Pleasure. Can I just tell you, how good was he at goals, uh, scoring goals? He was a scorer of not just tappings, but great goals. Unbelievable goals. Well, like from range and volleys. And imagine if you paired him and Rude, do you think you'd have the perfect partnership? Because you'd have goals scored from every distance. Good question, Sam. Well, Thanks, you Sam. know that Sparky, Sparky would just sit there and just take all the, all the kicks and just say, there you go, Rude, tap that one in. <laughs> phenomenal player to play with. I tell you what, a phenomenal player to play with. He was the type of player that you could just ping a ball up to and you knew it would just stick. So strong. It was a nightmare to play against in training and also to actually play against him as well. Played against him a few times when I was at Blackburn. Hell of a player. Great podcast. I love that one. Love that one. We have covered so many topics in those 50 episodes. One of the big topics that came up regularly, though, in those last 50 was mental health. And footballers, and I think we've said it a lot of times in 100 episodes, that footballers are human beings. And that point came out so much in Mickey Thomas's podcast. One of my ultimate favourites, just because Mickey's such a good guy. 
Mm-hmm. He's been through a really, really tough time the last few years with his cancer, but he's the most positive guy, Maisie, I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah. What a happy man. What a guy. As, as you said, Helen, you know, the last couple of years has been absolutely, well, it's been horrible for everybody else, but imagine trying to fight cancer as well. And how that came about, you know, there's just a conversation they had with Robbo. That was a simple I question. Know. Robbo just said, yeah. listen, just go to the doctors. Mm-hmm. And that's for everybody out there, you know. Life still goes on, but if there's something wrong, just go and get, you know, go and get, get it seen to. Mickey did that and thankfully he's still with us. But yeah, emotionally, and it, people look at footballers and, you know, say, oh, it's easy for them. They're on this, they earn that and everything like that. But you, when when that front door closes, you just don't know what's going through players' like, like heads, lives. It is an emotional roller coaster you can go through day in day out and it's people will talk about the money and say it's okay for them do you know what you can have all the money in the world all Mm. the money in the world but if you're mentally struggling you talk about when you close that front door but for mickey it was actually when he went into the training ground yeah a lot of people hide their feelings when they go home as you say but mickey went into the training ground and actually hid away from his teammates so he wouldn't have to face anybody. Probably the one of the first big games that I couldn't move my legs on the pitch. I was that, like lead. Lead. Nervous. I couldn't, I, I didn't perform. I, I felt intimidated. And, you know, Lou McCoy said something. When I played for Wales, I was a different player because I was free, I was relaxing, there was no pressure. You're playing for the biggest club in the world, aren't you? you know, they're, they're, they're huge. Mm. You've been there, mate. You've been in the dressing with players. Everyone's different, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you cross that white line, people don't know what you're going through. You know, the fans don't really know you. They don't know whether you're, you know, there's something wrong with them. But they, they, they think you're perfect when you're not perfect. You're a human being. I'm a human being. And we all have problems. But we can't tell them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they so don't you had really a drink get, problem. You understand? Yeah, yeah. You, you understand what I mean? It's, it's, it's something that I, you know, because I do a lot of commentary, I've done it for years. I understand sometimes, like Memphis Depay, who came here, he yeah. didn't do it. Maybe he had the same problems as me, he couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And in my era, there was no one around to tell. Speak in to my her. era, it was a man's game where it was physical, where they were strong, where if you said something, oh, I, I don't, I'm scared, they would have laughed at you. You know, they sort of mick mm. out of you. Um, so I had to keep that inside me. You know, and in the end, I had to leave. Obviously, there was... Was this, it Mickey, his... sorry, that told the story about George Michael? That's literally what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the, in the midst so of listening to his personal struggle, which is something you don't hear, certainly from football players, that actually that lifestyle isn't necessarily what they want and actually it can be very difficult and very intimidating. But at the same time, he's sleeping in Stamford Bridge and going down the road to Party Stone by George Michael. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> that was so funny. That's just so out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Everything with Mickey is out of the blue, yeah. though. Yeah. You just don't <laughs> oh, have a clue what, a what the next thing's coming out of his mouth. But what a guy. Absolutely. He is, absolutely he is absolutely a superstar. I, I, Mickey's one of the nicest blokes you could ever, ever meet. He's, he is, he, oh, he has an absolute heart of gold. He really has. How have we not even talked about him going to prison? And just parking his car and driving home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mickey's was amazing. Mickey T having his own car park space at the prison that he's actually serving in. Yeah, and drinking <laughs> champagne in it. And the gaffer's saying, yeah, you can go on tonight. And he goes on. 
Just make sure you're back here tomorrow, mate. I need to re-listen to that episode. It was so funny. Brilliant. Episode 63, if you want to go back. Episode 51, Andy Cole. What I remember from that podcast, he had that really funky background, like space. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I remember from that episode. (laughs) Sam, you weren't with us for that one. Correct. Unfortunately. Sorry to say, but that was also a really, really good podcast. And also what he has been through the last few years. Yeah. Maisie, obviously you knew him pre-health problems. Yeah. Cole is one one of those lads that when you speak to other lads, they'll go, Cole is a bit strange, isn't he? But no, Cole is the life and soul of the parties. He is. He's such a, a lovable lad and people totally get the wrong idea about what he's like and uh you know he is so funny he is so funny but as you touched on it there helen you know imagine your cousin giving you his kidney to keep you alive and to keep you living alexander was it yeah alexander yeah he um he donated his kidney yeah he he come to see me one day obviously when i was still living in uh, Cheshire and he sent me I can't do this anymore I, I just woke up I was like sleeping like 13, 14 hours a day I just woke up groggy as hell from my medication and, all that. and he said to me Hunks said yeah he said I can't do this anymore so I said what are, we, what are you on about he said to me that's it I can't, I can't see you like this anymore I mean because I was, I was walking like Kaiser Souza I was dragging my feet couldn't, couldn't walk I could, I could just about get to the toilet get back and I was so out of breath it was unbelievable and he said no I'm not doing it he said um, come and don't, don't donate my kidney and I remember saying no 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 no, you're far too young for this this is a long term project he said to me no I said I'm done I said I can't I can't see you like this anymore he said come I look at you you're sleeping you can't do this you can't do that he said I can't do it and I was getting really emotional and so was he and I said no you're too young but he was adamant, adamant that he wanted to give me his kidney and he donated his kidney for me. What was that phone call like, Cole? Ringing your kid up again then? Saying, listen, I thought about it now or I'm going to accept your offer. Because <laughs> that's like, Cole, that is absolutely... I mean, we all make decisions in life, but that's like mm-hmm. a huge decision for both Maybe of you. Yeah. No, Maybe not, yeah. not, well, not for all your family. I, I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't talk to him. I thought, obviously... My oldest sister, that's his mum. And I spoke to her and I said, you need to speak to him. He, she spoke to him and said, Andrew, nope, he's made his mind up. That is it. You know what he's like. Yeah, he's a bit like me. Once he's made his mind up, that is it. And I sat down at length and I spoke with him. Hunks, no, I'm doing it. And I was fortunate I had possibly, I don't know, five, six people we were there saying, look, we're doing it for you, we're doing it for you. But he was so adamant that he was like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm not watching you like this anymore. And if I'm a match, you will have my kidney. He was like that. He was one of those ones, if you said no to me, he won't have a tear up with you. <laughs> it was kind of like that, you know. He was so adamant that he wanted to do it. I mean, you'd have been, you'd have been close anyway. Yeah. But now, the fact that Crazy. his kidney is now keeping you alive sort of thing is like... What a bomb that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, like, like I say to him, you know. And is he okay as well? He's, he's, he's good. You know, you know what upset me? I'm, I'm honest enough to speak about it now. You know what upset me more than anything? When I had the operation done, I remember getting up. 
obviously very drugged up and that. But when I was getting up and that, I could like shuffle about and walking. And I was out after a week. Mm-hmm. He was in for like 10, 12 days because he got gas caught in where they're taking his, his kidney out and he was in pain. He, he couldn't go to the toilet. And, that. and I remember I, I broke down in tears. I, I couldn't have you. I, I said to myself, see you go through the pain. Yeah. And I said, no, I can't comprehend this. And I even turned around and said, I will go about ill tomorrow yeah, to see him good. But I, I, I couldn't. I said, myself, all that. How do you go to the hospital to make me better and you end up ill? I, I couldn't get it from my head. And like I said, you know, I was, I was in bits. I was in absolute bits when I left him in the hospital. I, I said, I, I just broke down in tears. That is, and, and, wow, that's, that's emotional, that. I can't get my head around that. I mean, you would do it for, for your family and stuff, but... I think COVID and lockdown was really difficult for everybody. But for Andy, obviously, he's still classed as vulnerable. And mm-hmm. he totally isolated on his own. And he talked about how difficult that was for him, being completely on his own. So much going on in your head. He still talks about he gets really, really tired uh, most days because of his health problems now, of course, as well. Yeah. And for someone who has been an athlete all of their lives, Maisie, and yeah. then having that change in their health must be incredibly difficult. Yeah, he was always be, yeah. in the gym and stuff, wasn't he, as well, Coley? Yeah, whenever you saw Coley around the club, you know, he looked a million dollars. And, you know, just to pick it, I think he picked the illness up, being away with the club and just became very, very air, tired. Airborne, and, yeah. and the doctor just said, just get to the hospital now. And they kept him in. And the next minute he's on dialysis machine. And you think, oh my God, how your life changes like that. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's incredible. It is. But you just don't know what one, I think one thing sometimes. you get with Coley as well, Helen, is how positive he, he is. He still he still loves a laugh and still mm-hmm. obviously his, his outtake on life is different. But now he's living his life and you think, Wow, fair play to you, Coley. Fair play to you. One of for me most memorable um, and uh, well, I, easily one of my favourites though I, I do struggle if people don't ask me my favourites because I say they're all yeah, my favourites you do say that for everyone but, so. yeah. uh, but definitely one of my favourites is uh, Bojan his story was extraordinary and so surprising it just wasn't stuff I knew really and to to hear him talk so well about it and and to get a, a proper under even now to talk about it is hard because it's, so much happened to him before he was kicking footballs in Manchester and to think that a human could make that journey is astonishing and yeah maybe it didn't work out the way a lot of people would have wanted but like he said he did it he played for Manchester United and to think of the emotional baggage that he would have had as a as they picked up along the way of you know running from gunshots and having family killed and it's just extraordinary his story so much that we can never understand yeah you just can't can you but he did say that he doesn't he finds it hard to talk about he doesn't really tell that story very often let's go back to your early days growing up in yugoslavia what was that like Amazing. I never, I never spoke about that, you know, because I always thought that people won't be that interested in that. Well, you, this is this is why we've got you on here. Yeah, I know, because the thing is, 
it's, you, everybody speaks about your career, about your failures. You were the you were the one that was gonna make the grade. Nothing happened. They look at your career, uh, but the thing is, they always forget there is a person behind that. You know, football has never mm-hmm. defined me. Uh, my life defined me. Football for me was a hobby. Football for me was something I loved just to play. Not to train, not to run, but it was just like a free zone in my life. Because I was born on the 6th of February in Belgrade. But I grew up in Sarajevo with my grandparents. And in 1992, the war came to Bosnia. The war came to Sarajevo. And uh, it was not a lockdown like people are complaining now about. You know, people are complaining about restrictions or not be able to go out after 8 o'clock. Uh, we're talking about bombs. We're talking about grenades. We're talking about relatives dying. We're talking about uh, my friends getting shot. Uh, seeing that when you're 10, 11 years old, no child should experience that, you know. And of course, uh, when, you, when you get older, then you start realizing how tough that was. Uh, because, for example, uh, when you're 10 years old, uh, you're holding your granddad's hand and people are counting down on a street, on a crossing, three, two, one, and then you run. You run so you won't get shot by the snipers down top of the buildings. So imagine that being 10 years old and seeing shots, people falling, and you make the street. For me then, I was with my superhero. It was my granddad. So I didn't think about it as much. It was just like a run. Me now, I'm 39 on the 6th of February in a few days. And I would say to you, I would be scared now running with my son or with my daughter over the street. But it was, it was shit, Maisie. You know, it was, it was shit in a way because I lost oh, so can many I, can people. Can I just stop you there? Yeah. Why would you run across a road with snipers around? Uh, you, need to come back. You, you, need, you, know, you needed you needed to come back to your area. Uh, you needed to come and uh, buy bread or milk uh, because uh, Bosnia was a split country. Bosnia, you have uh, three types of religions. You have Serbs, they are Christian Orthodox. You have uh, Croats, they are Catholics. And then you have uh, Bosnian Muslims. Uh, so Sarajevo was a split city and uh, people were taking parts of town. So there was like borders inside a town. So on one street is a Serbian corner, on the other street was the Bosnian corner. And to buy milk, to buy bread, if you're stuck in that area, you have to run to make it. Or if you're now at home, if you're at the neighbor's house and the grenades start falling, you had to run just so you can make your house, so you can come home. So it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, it's like crazy scenes and people see to me, but how can, you, how can you be normal after all that? You know, when you're still at nighttime, sometimes you have nightmares about things you've seen. You wake up uh, you all sweaty. How can you just be a normal person? Or People never ask me, but I, I was never prepared to talk about it because uh, I was always like defending the way my career has gone. Mm. And sometimes I was so frustrated, so angry, even with people here in Sweden or people in England, you know, they just saw you as a footballer. But it was my, that was my work, you know, footballer, footballer. But I never wanted to be defined that way. But, you know, when, you're not, when you don't speak about it, nobody will ever ask you about it either. So you just like you just like a time bomb, you know. Like you know yourself, Maze. You you met me so many times. I'm always close of like exploding. Even mm-hmm. if I'm more controlled now, when I played, I could be annoying. My attitude was on a different level. All depends if I if I drank, if I ate, if I slept. So I was like a, from Monday to I was like a roller coaster during the years in United. It was a roller coaster. Maze, I know that one affected you quite a lot. Uh, I just I just you know all the hate in the world. It's horrible. And yet you've got a young kid there trying to make his his life in football something that it's his dream. And his dream was to play for Manchester United. And to do that, having running across the road, 
people trying to shoot you. Bombs going off here, there and everywhere of where you live. It's like, oh my God, so powerful and emotional. He joined us from his studio. He did. Very professional. Yeah, it's probably the most professional person we've had on. Or like uh, our co-host, he just disappeared. <laughs> Sorry, there's no one else here and there's a uh, door. Um, he also there's told us, well, it's a parcel. He also told us how to pronounce his name correctly. And oh, yeah. no one does it. Yeah. Let's ignore that. Everyone just calls him Bojan still. Yeah. He was amazing. And uh, if you're listening to this and for some reason you haven't heard that one, that's the one to go back and listen to. Yeah. And all the well, others. Well, you can listen you to them all. To. Yeah. Including Katie Zellum, episode 94. Mm-hmm. Incredible when she talked in that podcast about the abuse she took from the sidelines from children, parents. But the thing that I love the most is that all the boys she played with stuck up for her. I yeah. absolutely love that. Katie, I know that you played in a team from quite young, but you were the only girl in that team. In fact, the only girl in the league, I believe. Yeah. How much, when you look now, because you are an idol for so many young girls, when you look at that back all those years, how incredible of a feeling is that for you, looking back and thinking, I I was the only girl in that league at that age? Yeah, and what's so crazy is like, at the time it was so not normal. Um, yeah. but for me it just felt so normal like the lads I'm still friends with a lot of them now and they just treated me like a teammate not oh it's a girl or a boy it was almost always like the lads on my team always had my back like looking back now I'm like horrified to what things people used to shout at me as like really? a six seven eight year old girl like the parents would shout on like come on they've got a girl on the team like how like how's a girl beating you? And I'll be like looking at my dad like, why is this 35 year old grown man like shouting at me from the side of the pitch? And yeah, like, I'm small now, but if you would have seen me when I was little, I was tiny. And like, no wonder that them views become so normal because people's yeah. parents are shouting mm-hmm. that from the side. The lads around me, the lads growing up playing against me was like, yeah, she is a girl. Like, why is she playing football? Like, the views are just passed down from generations, which is what I would like to try so hard to eradicate. And I think it's so refreshing for me that some of my friends, like, still come and watch me now. They message me. Like, so a lot of them are good players, like, went on to play in, like, academies and things like that. And for me, like, they always knew. And I see some of them, like, when I go back home and they're like, you were always better than us, Katie. And I'm like, it's nice that like the people that knew me and was around me are of the same view as I am. And hopefully they can pass that view on to the people around them. Mm-hmm. Did it ever affect you sort of hearing that, especially at such a young age as well? I think, you, you know, you're very impressionable, aren't you, at that age? And when you're, you're a young kid and you're playing and you're hearing that from a grown man and you're sort of taught, aren't you, to sort of respect your elders and, and you know, you listen to your parents and you listen to, you know, people that are sort of that age. And then you hear those comments and, you know, did it ever sort of affect you? And did you ever sort of question playing football? I look back now and I think no wonder so many girls stop playing football. Like, no wonder the dropout rate between, like, 10 and 16 is so high because so many people are telling you you shouldn't be playing, why are girls playing, like, you, 
the boys are so much better than you. Like, no wonder. Like, people question, like, oh, why is there less girls in sport? Well, because your dad's shouting at me. That's why there's less girls in sport. Um, and I think for me, like, growing up around, like, you've met my dad. He's just, like, say it how it is. And I think that's very much how I am now. And I'm quite thick-skinned to the point that that probably made me stronger rather than brought me down. But, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, I was the only girl in the league probably for a reason because no one else wanted to be shouted at from the sideline every single week. Um, And I think I was really lucky to be surrounded by so many people that were strong and strong independent women, to be honest, that supported me, but not just the women, my dad, my uncle, my coach and my teammates were like, some of my teammates, bless them, would be like, yeah, we have got a girl, like, yeah, and she's better than you. And like, I was the captain. So they were like, yeah, and she's the captain. Like, Thanks, boys. <laughs> also, I know it wasn't the point of the podcast, but her stories about her dad were amazing. You, lo- you love the story about her dad painting the neighbour's fence. Yeah, it's astonishing. It's probably <laughs> illegal, probably some form of vandalism. She was just so positive, wasn't she? I really, really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Obviously, you were missed though, Maisie. Oh, thanks. You'd have loved her dad, I reckon. Do you know what? <laughs> I actually did think I pointed out in that podcast, or maybe I just thought it in my head. Maisie is the type of neighbour to go and paint your fence when you're not asked. Are you? Yeah, I would do that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, all day long. It's what he paints on it that you won't worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not sure what sort of message it would be on the, on the fence, but yeah. <laughs> I actually, my next door neighbour needed a new gate. And I sorted the gate out for him. That's, you know. See? Episode 88, the podcast went on a mini tour. We did. We, went to London. we did. How good was that? Was that our first little trip? Well, no, it was definitely our London. first trip to London since... Since Dimitar. Yeah. 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 But it was our first little tour. Yeah. yeah. Maisie and I did Norway and Sweden. All right. Okay, Sam. Why do we bring that up? Well, we had a great time. We had a great time. And we had a great time on the train home, Maisie, because we did our quiz certainly on the way home we did yeah because yeah. we got separate trains on the way down we did which is weird Jason <laughs> yeah. Park mm-hmm. probably I feel like I say this all the time as well but probably the nicest player I've ever met Juan Mata surely also slightly disrespectful no, to your husband many. there's too many there's too many <laughs> your husband do you yeah. think he's nice um, okay <laughs> I know I do say that all the time but G Sun Park was just so nice. Yeah, he was lovely. And he was such a such a good talker and so passionate about his memories uh, at Manchester United. Great player as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. Great player. Appreciated by so many of his teammates. Yeah. And obviously fans too. And Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Of course, there was the, the more serious stuff with him that we talked about where he... Um, sort of, I guess, used the opportunity because he knew Manchester United fans were listening to talk about his chant and how you know, thank you for it, but please don't sing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is really courageous because you know that people can, the, the people that are singing in in their minds in support of you, if they're told not to, can turn and, and you don't know how they're going to react. So I think it was really brave of him to do that. Really brave. And I think a lot of people's eyes would have been opened because you just sing and you don't really think about the words and how that resonates with people. But yeah. obviously it resonates a lot with him and people from his community. And I think it was a really yeah. important message that he put out. Absolutely. 
I know you'd quite like to talk about the song that Manchester United fans had for you. Um, obviously that came about in 2005 and I wonder, maybe it wouldn't be a song that people would come up with today because people view things differently, specifically the reference to eating dog meat. How did that make you feel when you were a player? And how does that make you feel now you've had, I guess, time to reflect because you've retired, but it is still being sung? I think, yeah, if I'm being honest that, you know, is I should uh, probably speak out more loud this time mm -hmm. because in that time it, yeah, 15 years ago and then it's everything changed from Holland to England I have to adapt start from zero because I'm really knows what the changing environment means when I joined the uh, uh, PSV so when I heard that song that time I feel like I'm very proud first because of they made a they create a song for me. That's a really good one as a player, very proud of to have it. And then as I heard that the about the lyric referring to eating dog meat, which is very uncomfortable for me to that. Is it allowed? I mean, is it okay? It's it's kind of that feeling I have to adapt that time because I was young and I don't know the, the culture over here. So probably it's one of the things I have to accept because I never thought that fans may create a song with bad meanings. Mm -hmm. They always make a song for cheer up, to give some energy to the players, proud of the players. That, that's my, uh, my thought. So that's why I, I just accept it. Mm -hmm. as a player and then I'm really have a proud of being there as well but as you know the time has changed and then it's 15 years later and then probably last summer recently one of the Korean player who had uh, joined the Ulbus mm -hmm. a player against United and that time the United fans uh, sang my song. So I feel that time I need to do something because that word that probably the player discomfort with that, same as me, I did when I was 15 years ago. But now it's time has changed and then everything has changed. So even in Korea, uh, changed a lot. It's kind of the stereotyped. There's not any more surviving Korea as well. You know, it is true that the historical historically we've been eating the uh, uh, eating uh, dog meat, but these days, particularly young generation, they really hate it mm -hmm. to eating dogs. And then they never thought about to have a restaurant. But it was there before, but these days you really can't find it. So it's totally, the culture is changing. So I'm really sorry for him to hear that. I know the United fan doesn't mean any offense to him for that song. 
but still, I have to believe, and I, ha- I think I have to educate for the fans that stop that s- word, which is uh, these days usually uh, the people who uh, racial insult to the Korean people. But that's not true. I mean, in these days in Korea, there are lots of different good things. I'm very proud of being Korea also. As you know, many BTS, he's a Korean singer, and also the song is doing very well as a player. Also, some of the drama on the Netflix is a very popular across the whole world, high technology. These are good things, we have it, but I really, you know, request the fans to stop that, you know, seeing that word because it's not anymore to cheer up someone. It's uh, yeah. probably more uh, be discomfort for the, uh, when they heard that song. So your message to the fans, I suppose, would be that from you, you know that maybe they don't use it to cause offence, but you'd rather that it wasn't used, uh, that word particularly, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that, yeah, that particular, I mean, it's been seven years I retired from the football pitch, but as I heard that, you know, the fan chant, I felt I was still being on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So I'm very proud of that, yeah. how they create that song. But, you know, that particular word mm-hmm. is, is really discomfort for the mm-hmm. uh, particularly Korean people. Okay. And then I really feel very sorry for the younger player who joined in Europe or whatever mm-hmm. and then heard that kind of song they didn't imagine why they put that word and mm-hmm. then so because they don't know the, about the culture that culture because that generation is totally different compared to me mm-hmm. so i think it's now it's time to to stop that word i think it's referring to the was it the world's game yeah yeah and the, the young kid that was playing for them yeah great pod though great pod great podcast and yeah as you say our first little jaunt away i wonder where we'll add this year or next year. I know. Tasker, get us on the road so we can make more funny moments because there has been plenty of those over the last 50. I'm just going to point out, Luke Chadwick, I have listened to the story about four times <laughs> when he <laughs> slept in for training, watched too yeah. much Big Brother, told a lie, said his girlfriend fell and she <laughs> ended up having to wear a tuba grip for six weeks. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Was there any occasions when um, you actually missed training? I believe you did. Oh, yeah, he set me up. Set me up for a fool here, didn't well, you? Well, uh, you know, it's just the lads previous on the podcast has mentioned it and just thought we'd get your version of it. Yeah, so how the story goes, I was in Belgium the year before and that was the year that Big Brother started. And in Belgium, I could only get BBC One and BBC Two on the telly out there. So I missed like a big thing at the time, Big Brother, Series one, I missed it. So I made sure when I was back in the UK that I weren't going to miss a second of series two. So what happened was I got probably a bit too much into Big Brother and was watching all of it, like every Channel 4 show, but then also on E4. You, don't tell me you watched the live one. 
I'd watch the live feed for hours on end just so I'd be the first to know if anything happened. Don't look at me like that. It's <laughs> so I'm, what, so I've got, it's, it's, it's actually on mute as well, though, isn't it? No, it goes on mute if they're saying something that oh, they right, shouldn't okay. be saying. So, right. so, like, if you're lucky, you'll hear them snoring while they're sleeping. And oh, that's great. Right. That's brilliant. So I've got, in, like, I've got quite an addictive personality, and I was just addicted to watching it. So I was probably you know, a little flat in sale I was living in, big telly that I bought with some of my bonuses from the United <laughs> Games and I was just enjoying Big Brother and I, I think I was just watching the live feed and it probably got to about three in the morning probably no one had said anything for about two hours but I was just waiting for that moment for someone to say something I've obviously fallen asleep my missus was um, working at Manchester Airport working shifts and she come home at 10.30 in the morning the next day and woke me up and I said like, what? she went Luke what are you doing? Didn't you a bit training? And I've just like looked at my watch all the time. It's 10 foot training. You needed to be in for yeah. like half nine. And my heart just sank. I thought, what have I done? <laughs> Big brother's really cost me here. And I absolutely, sh- I didn't have a clue what to do. So what, what I've done, and I'm still ashamed of it to this day. <laughs> I phoned my mum back in Cambridge and said to her, I don't know, they're going to sack me. I've missed training because I'm watching Big Brother. I don't know what to do. So I took my mum, phoned Carrington, like Kathy on the desk at Carrington, and said, I told her to say, phone up and say, Hayley's had an accident. And I've taken her to the hospital again. I'm ashamed I said this. And I said, nothing serious. Just say that it's an accident. So Hayley is your girlfriend. Hayley's my girl, yeah. wife now, yes. Hayley's my girlfriend. So we then. She phones me back and says, yeah, I've told her, said, said like, they sounded really worried. Like, I hope it gets better soon. I said, oh, thank God. But, so I've gone in the next morning, made sure I didn't watch Big Brother, went in at the right time, <laughs> turned around that corridor to go to the dressing room. First person I see is a gaffer. Like, he's never even down there. I can't believe, like, he's there. And I've made, like, made eye contact. And he's, like, he's looked at me with concern in his face, saying... How is she? <laughs> I mean, oh my God, I've got, I've gone too deep again here. I've got, and I've said to him, I said, she had a full gaffer. I said, <laughs> said it's her wrist. I went, it's all right though. I go, it's not broken. <laughs> and I've got, like, I'm thinking. So then because I, like, I'm absolutely, the, hole? I, the hole's getting had deeper. Had you not thought it. about this scenario before you went into training? Oh, I'm just trying to save myself. <laughs> so you're literally just thinking on the I spot. Don't, I, don't think, like, I don't think anyone's going to ask me. Like, I think it's just going to get brushed under the carpet and that. But then the first person I've seen the gaffer and the gaffer said it. So then <sighs> because I'm absolutely, I can't even drive. I'm 20, 21 years old. I'm not even past my driving test. So Hayley, my wife, has to take me everywhere I go. And she always goes to the games so she can take me home after so and she goes in the players lounge <laughs> after so I've, for the next like three or four weeks I've made her wear a tuby grip <laughs> on her arm so if if anyone quizzes and we've got the story like all together saying like she slipped in the kitchen like there was wet so like I'd spilled a cup of tea she didn't know we've got the, gone so deep into the story so yeah that was um, obviously not something I'm extremely proud of <laughs> <laughs> Had anyone ever asked her after that in the players' lounge? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I've just gone to. I'm worried so much, and I've got her worried as well. She's like, "Luke, I forgot the tuber grip, so we're gonna have to turn around. We need to get it." So then she'd keep the tuber grip in her handbag. So when we got to Old Trafford, she'd just pull it on. Oh. Yeah, it was a uh, bad times, worrying, worrying times. 
The, the one thing I remember saying at Gaffer, and then it's all right. So it's not broken. <laughs> Oh, the chicks are sore. Does he know that story, do you think? <laughs> no, probably not. I hope not. I sincerely hope not. Oh, that is actually so funny. <laughs> it is. It's so funny. It makes me laugh so much. And do you know what? The, the reaction off Twitter as well. So many people oh, mentioned it. Your commitment to life. That's, so that's a favourite story. Hilarious. And maybe, do you know so what else? Funny. I listened to it in the car the other day when he also said about how he bleached his hair <laughs> and the Burnley manager at the time told him <laughs> to change it back and I had Sir Alex Ferguson on the phone he's like I can't change it back I can't remember how much he said he spent on it but oh he is such a funny guy he's, he's hilarious he's so so funny so funny and he also touches on about the stuff as well mentally as well what he went through but mm-hmm. yeah how positive he is a great character he, he is somebody who you would love to be in the presence of day in, day out, because some of the stories and just the way he acts mm-hmm. is hilarious. Absolute <laughs> oh, hilarious. so funny. Making his girlfriend wear a tubey grip for six That's weeks brilliant. every time she came to Old Trafford. And that and Quentin Fortune's marathon oh. story are my two favourite stories out of 100. Quinny, what a ledge. What about asking his mum to ring the club <laughs> and to speak to Cathy? <laughs> oh. oh, brilliant. Charlie, brilliant. Class. Sam's left us because he wasn't there for that one either. Got another parcel. <laughs> it's Christmas. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I tell you who I thought was great. Uh, one of my absolute favourites and the one that, I, I know I said this earlier, that always comes to mind was Oji Nagalo and the story of him running around his hotel room oh, having yeah. been woken up naked with the sheet wrapped around him, knocks on the chairman's door, they can't communicate, so they speak the same language, has to go and find a translator, knocks on his door at like 3am and gets everybody together in a room to make the move happen. You could actually feel the excitement as he told that yeah. story. I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> If I see my life today, I'll just feel I'm the most luckiest man on earth or the most luckiest boy on earth, you know, because imagine I'm playing in China. My age, that hard is against me. Playing in China is against me. Coronavirus pandemic just started in China. It's against me. Then at the same time, I moved to my dream club. How, uh, how did it happen? <laughs> I, I remember that I, my agent, same agent I'm using, told me that it's, it's Norwegian, you know. So he said, uh, I want to uh, uh, see if you can go on loan and all that to, to UK, Manchester United are looking for short loans for a striker because Rashford is injured and all that. What do you think and all that? I said, what, what club did you just mention? <laughs> he said, Manchester United. You know, since the day he mentioned this name, Manchester, I did not sleep throughout. He said, but I want to tell you, you are not the only option. They have like four, five other options of striker. Every night I pray, <clears throat> I said, God, we not allow them to take any of the other striker. They're going to take me. <laughs> so... <laughs> My agent, so every day I'll call my agent, what's going on? He said, I've not had anything from them. They have other options. Maybe they, are, they want to go with the other options and all that. I said, okay, just keep me posted anything that is going on. I could not say it out because if I tell anybody, they won't believe that. They'll say, are you crazy? You are playing in China, Manchester United. The, the biggest team in the world will come for you. You're playing in China. 
with your age and they're not going to believe. So I just keep it to myself. I was just praying in my mind, say, God, I hope this happen. I hope they don't get another striker. They get me, even though it is one month long. Let me achieve this. Even though it is one month to wear that Manchester United jersey, let me accept it and all that. So I did not hear anything from my agent and all that. So a day before the transfer is going to close, my agent called me that it's like, they're interested because the other strikers, they cannot get them and all that. I said, are you serious? And all that. He said, yes, but I'm going to call you back. So I was, it was like 11 p.m. No, 10.30 p.m. In, in Shanghai. I just saw my agent call me that, Man United want to do this deal. Who are we going to talk to? I remember I was naked in the bed, want to try <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> he said, who are we going to talk to? I jump off from there. I said, Atta, what you just said? He said, Man United want to make the deal. Who are we going to talk to? I said, okay. We're in the camp then. We're in the hotel then with the team and all that. I said, our director, I want to go look for... I just tie it to my waist. I run out of my room. I go knock our director door and all that. He's not speaking English. I went to the other translator. I hit his door. He said, what's going on? Igalo, this is uh, uh, 11 p.m. in the night. I said, where's the director? My agent want to speak to him now. And I said, what's going on? He said, I'm Manchester United want to take me on loan. You have to do whatever you're going to do to make it work and all that. I said, you have to do it. So I think my agent did not connect. They started speaking and all that and all that. Agent said, uh, you have to get a pay cut and all that. I said, I don't care the pay cut. Just make the deal happen. I don't care about the pay cut. I want to go. If Are you sure Manchester United want me? My agent had to screenshot the message to show me that it's real before I believe because I never believed my eyes. So he said uh, they're going to send the offer now through email and all that. So when they send the offer, he showed me the offer. I saw the Manchester logo, the paper heading. <laughs> my, I was shivering like this <laughs> on a bed. I was shivering. I said, oh God, let this happen. Let this happen. Let this happen. I was praying. I was praying. I was praying. Then the two clubs started negotiating and all that, talking about the contract. I was on the bed. I was just, my head was heavy and all that. Said uh, you're gonna get this less. You're gonna. I said I don't care what less, what money and all that. Just do it and let me go and do, do. It. My agent now told me that it's, the thing is going well and all that. They started exchanging paper and all that. Till I did not sleep till that that 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. in the morning when they fax everything and it was 5 a.m. in Sh Shanghai time. How how close how close was this to the actual deadline day time? Very close. Very, very close. So I could imagine you're panicking like mad. I was panicking. I was shaking. I was looking all the news, know what is going on, want to see what is going on and all that. The around 6, 10 in the morning, my agent just sent me a message that the deal went through and all that. I just lied down. I took what I drink, what I lie down on the bed. I was like here in tears and I called my mom. My mom said, what? <laughs> what? You didn't tell me what is going on, so that you put it in prayer too. I said it already happened because I don't want to put you in a panic mode. I don't want to tell you what is going on. Then if the deal did not work, then you're gonna feel sad or you're gonna get heartbreak. So that's why I did not tell you. But I want to tell you now, I'm a Manchester United player for the next six months. What a lovely, lovely lad. Yeah. I think the podcast is so cool because they just don't. Nobody gets to hear after stories that the lads want to tell. 
and it, when you're in that when you're in that little bubble of all the players, you'll hear the stories. But to actually get them out on the podcast is brilliant. It's so good. And the fact that Bruno Fernandez doesn't even let his own daughter win at Uno. Who else yeah. would know that apart from us? Yeah, well, his daughter, I suppose. You said when you were playing football and you had to do what you had to do to try and make sure you win. And you talked earlier about leadership and if you have the captain's armband or not, you're still going to be a leader. Did you always have that sort of competitive drive and that ambition, like even when you were playing Pokemon when you were younger? Or is it just football? Always, always, in everything. I hate lose in everything. <laughs> Yesterday, I think, no, two days ago, I was playing with my little daughter, Uno. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you need to, to just... Let them win. She, yeah, she, she needs to win, you know, sometimes. But Sometimes. But yeah, sometimes, because sometimes I'm <laughs> But you playing, didn't let her. <laughs> you know, when she put, it was, we were playing a, a game and she had like two plus four. And she put me twice the plus four. Now she's she's little. She doesn't know why. All of the time, you need to ask. You have some some more some more to put together. You have more cards to put and everything. And when I ask, she put another four, another <laughs> plus four. So I take I take plus eight. I have four cards to plus two. I take that eight, and after I put all the plus two together, you know, bam, 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 bam. and I win that game because I saw, I was so angry because she put me twice plus four. I need to, I, I hang said, on, hang wife, on Bruno, how old is she? Uh, three years old. <laughs> <laughs> my wife, my wife was looking and she said to me, you are always the same. You are, but it's like this. I, I, for, for example, we are most part of the times. So I don't know how you call here in um, England. You know what is bingo? Bingo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in Christmas, in Christmas in Portugal, we, we always play that. We pay five, five pounds for card, mm-hmm. you know? And so we put all the money in the box and we, 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 we have the card complete wins that uh, all yeah. that money, you know? But we, I don't, I'm not sure if you say five points. The, the little coin, which one is the most, the, the little five one you pence. have? Five pence. Five pence. One P? No, one P, no. Five, maybe five, five P. pence. Yeah. Five, five pence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the little okay. one. Okay. So we always play like this. Just It's just to have fun, not because of money. Yeah. Just to have fun. But also for that, I don't like to, to, to lose. <laughs> and when, when, when you, I mean, I have to call the numbers. I always check the numbers sometimes just to be, to, to be sure if I have that one or not, you know? <laughs> if I don't have, I just put again inside. <laughs> And I move a little bit more. <laughs> but this this is because my family all the time they shitting doing this, you know. All the time. My my cousins, my uncles, everyone, everyone just does geez. this. So you grow you grow up with this and you, you have to do. You yeah. have to do to win, you know. So that's where your, your drive to win comes from. It comes from being cheated when you were a child. At bingo. Yeah, because my, I, normally I lose when I was a child because they always do this. So I start to grow up and understand what I need to do to win in that kind of games. That's brilliant. So now your daughter will be the same? No, 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 no. <laughs> because she doesn't understand I'm, I'm cheating, you know. <laughs> Maisie, would you have let your daughter win a day now? No. Oh, no, probably not, to be fair. No, No, to be fair, you probably let her win one and then the competitive side and you would come out so you'd be like, right, I'm taking this one. You can have the next one. No. No? No. No. I don't, no. I don't, even, let her, I don't even let her win at darts and stuff like that. I just keep missing so she wins. No. 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 You have to learn to win. Got to learn, don't you? Yeah. Got to earn it. Yeah, absolutely. Can't give them all on a plate, Bells. 
I used to make my niece cry beating her at snakes and ladders. <laughs> Made me feel good it's not, though. It's not even a game. <laughs> That's really fair because it's just luck, isn't it? <laughs> just roll some dice. Yeah. Uh, John O'Shea had a bit of bad luck, didn't he? What a seamless link that was. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah. Mr. Team Bus got taught a proper lesson by Roy Keane. He did indeed. Uh, he was also happy to talk to us about that photo that comes up online all the time where they look like the world's worst boy band with those terrible outfits where everything is really ill-fitting and oddly patterned or coloured. And he, he wasn't... Uh, it was He didn't shy away from it, did he? Just like a challenge. He was his up for gears it. Never cha- yeah, but his gears never changed. <laughs> He's probably still got them in his cupboard. Um, I'll always remember one of the first times I'd just moved house and uh, so I'd never actually I'd never left from the house to we were meeting we'd go to a hotel the night before and uh, so I've, this is the first time I've left from the new house to get and we had to be at Old Trafford say at half six mm-hmm. so alright I'm thinking I'll leave at six plenty of time plenty of time you know there'll be no no dramas but obviously Friday evening there's a bit more work traffic there's a bit more whatever else so I'm like I'm starting to starting to sweat, sweat a little bit here you know but thankfully I was thinking in my head the manager wasn't going to be there he was going to meet us at the hotel yeah. so and I'm still barely in the first team type of thing you know so trying to put the foot down staying within the speed limit of course so I can get the next thing it's like 6 6.28 I'm like I'm thinking this is getting this is getting this is getting (laughs) close here so literally it's kind of 6 30 and I'm kind of pulling in type of thing the bus is still there you know like pure relief next thing I can see the bus moving (laughs) right I've not parked the car yet I'm nearly I'm nearly in and it's like the bus is gone so I can see Roy and a few obviously the senior players I'm thinking well, they've done me here. So I'm panicking, thinking, <laughs> will I drive the car back? We were staying actually in, in all of Liège at the time. Uh, so I'm thinking, what am I going to do here? Quick little panic. Thinking, right, I'll leave the car and I'll get a taxi. And I'll still get to the hotel, if you know what I mean, yeah. in time. So the manager will think, oh, but obviously Roy was, Roy was teaching me a bit of a lesson here. And it even, to be fair, it was, look, it was a, my own fault I should have known mm-hmm. prepared better in the sense of yeah. knowing the distance fr- from the house but the next day as well I think we played I'm trying to remember the game we were playing but obviously Roy mentioned it to me again and I'm kind of like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so basically he'd seen you driving in but he didn't stop the bus yeah which is like no no this is this is a lesson yeah but it was like obviously my own fault and you hold your hands up type of thing but you're, I was thinking I was more worried about the boss the next thing obviously <laughs> the senior lads on the senior lads were like oh, no we teach you a lesson Shazy but no that's that's the way it was and look it, it served me well it served me well you know that those things you have to you have to be on top of mm-hmm. you have to be on top of uh, there's no time like the present our producers just reminded me of a photograph <laughs> which has been going around for a few years oh look at that Boy band. <laughs> What's astonishing is how badly everything fits. There's not what? a single player in one item it? of clothing that fits. Yeah, yeah, he said it doesn't oh, fit. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, like nothing, nothing fits in that image. Some of them fit now, though. Do that a, few, a few years later. Um, Don't that was so, a, that was still a, got that leather jacket. The, <laughs> that's uh, going back to the the bond and the the morale around the group in terms of that was a uh, Christmas lunch yeah shall we say 
that turns into um, carnage. Yeah, it turns into a good day. Yeah. It turns into a good day, and um, look, it was, it was it's incredible how often it it, it pops up that, that picture. As much as maybe people try to delete it and get rid of it, and but no, look, it was bit of team one and the manager obviously encouraged it as much as we could at the right times and uh, mm. thankfully we've all uh, matured and got much better <laughs> clothes and, uh, on board what a guy Shazay some great goals as well by the way what a goal scorer yeah. just endless iconic moments someone else who was a great goal scorer Maisie I don't know if he did that on purpose Javier Hernandez uh, also loved his first goal and was happy to, to claim it where he kicked the ball into his own face as he fell over against Chelsea doesn't matter how it goes in. And yeah. he never stopped talking. No, we didn't really speak on that one, did we? I don't know. I didn't it speak hardly at all. He just, the great he stories. Yeah. Brilliant. I think he just loved being at Manchester United and he loves being a footballer. And I, he just seems like a really positive person. He just loved it. He told us about playing with Manchester United on a PlayStation. And then like a week later, he's joined them. It was special when I, when I, when I met the, 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 the lads and the dressing room and everything, but it was more special when I arrived in Manchester and I went to Carrington dressing room for the first mm-hmm. time. And then my first time as well in Old Trafford, you know, playing friendlies or whatever uh, before, before the season. Because then after, after that, we went to Wembley. And we play the community shield too. The, the goal that I yeah. scored with my face, that I assist and I score. It's just, yeah. It's the best goal ever, man. Not even goal. Cristiano it's and amazing. Messi got a goal like that, man. I should yeah. have credit. It's fun, yeah. I should have credit, man, of course. A self-assisted header. You <laughs> of course. don't see many. Yeah, and a nose goal. It was like a nose, nose <laughs> mouth goal in a way. I should, I should have more credit was, about it. Was, was you nervous meeting the lads? Was there anybody yeah. who... Yeah. You, you know why? You know why? Yes, because... It, it was never a nervousness that I need to prove something, but honestly, it was mm. nervousness because it was nervousness that it was new, man. It was like, I, I like in a way, my brain, I played with you in PlayStation three days ago in my house in Guadalajara. <laughs> and then I'm saying, hi, Berba. Hi, Berba. How are you? Hi, Patrice. How are you? Wayne, how, like, nice to meet you. Ryan Giggs, nice to meet you. Like, what? Edwin Wonders are like, what? Realistically, it was like that. So it was, it was, yeah, the nervousness of that. But as well, in my mind, that's why I think I had a good, a good, yeah, career in Manchester United. It was because I never felt less, and I knew that they got me for a reason. So I just need to prove it, and I will prove it. You know, sure. one minute, ninety minutes, I will, I will kill, I will do whatever I need to do uh, to help this team. You know, because I'm not gonna what? lose this opportunity. Sam, you keep playing that PlayStation. <laughs> Thanks, Helen. <laughs> Thanks for believing in me. <laughs> Just never know what's around the corner. Yeah, it could happen. It could happen any minute. Um, and I suppose the last one we can we can have a laugh about is episode 72, which was Gary Bailey getting in a fight with Gordon McQueen. Yeah. Maisie, would you get in the middle of that? No, just just watch. Let, leave it to him. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that Gary Bailey one. He was so sure of himself, wasn't he? Yeah, he was great. Well, he seemed very different. I think one thing we've done with this podcast is I hope we tried to remove the the sort of stereotypes attached to footballers but he seemed like a very different person to the normal football player if that isn't insulting yeah. to anybody i hope it isn't i don't mean it in a, in a way like that um he was just really interesting and maybe a, a bit like mickey thomas maybe didn't gel with his teammates yeah went and learned kickboxing and street fighting and stuff but he was fine with that that's why i liked him mm-hmm. yeah wasn't a follower he was a leader of himself I yeah like that. i like that in people 
Oh, good expression, Maisie. Be a leader, don't be a follower. We did get a story from um, Clayton Blackmore about you as a teammate. He told us that, I think it was on his debut, he just sat quietly in the corner in the changing room while you and Gordon McQueen came to blows. He said it was like two giants fighting and he was terrified to get involved. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a, a situation that caught me by surprise as well. We'd, we were 2-0 up at Sunderland and lost 3-2. And then we went to Notts Forest, we were 2-0 up and we lost 3-2 again. And, and I'm not saying I wasn't culpable. I, I probably could have done more, but you know... The, I walked in afterwards and I had to say something. And I just said, how the hell can we not be picking up runners? And, and Gordon in particular, Gordon's a lovely guy and he's a big, big, you know, great header of a ball, but he, was, he wasn't good tactically. And once Paul McGrath stepped in, we were a different team and, and, and we could have and should have won the league with Paul McGrath there. Uh, with Gordon, he was all over the place. And, and I walked in and said, we've, we've got it. We've got to be more organized. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to communicate. And, I was sort of aiming at Gordon and he knew it. Um, and he just stood up and said, what chance have we when we've got an effing coward in goals? And I went, you said what? And so I got up and walked across to him and I was going to engage in a semi-civil, uh, you know, university type debate about this. And he just flew off his, he flew off his <laughs> chair and punched me before he even got a word in. Off his chair, bang, hit me in the face. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I now try and and try and fight back but I wasn't born to be a fighter so you know Gordon's off the streets of Glasgow I mean he knew exactly how to fight so I'm trying to get a punch in Ron Atkinson steps in I catch I catch the manager on the back of the head he's turning looking at me everyone's <laughs> holding us all apart and um and afterwards um you know it, it was a very sort of wasn't a good feeling between myself and Gordon um, but I accepted it as, as part of the game and a, and a good way to get the frustrations out. But a mate of mine in Manchester said, Gary, what you don't understand is all these lads have had to fight. They've come up the hard way. They've fought in the streets. He said, you're one of these sort of kids at private school. He said, you don't know how to fight and you best learn very soon because the, you know, the players are hitting you. The big center forwards are hitting you every single game and they're gunning for you and you're just taking the hits. So <clears throat> I went to downtown Manchester and joined a, um, a street fighting class there, a guy called Steve Powell, who was uh, sixth Dan or something other. And I learned how to fight. And I'm not saying I was a good fighter, but I learned how to kick and how to throw a punch and to hurt somebody. And, um, and, and so, you know, I got in the dressing room as I started to learn this and I thought I best let everybody know. So I'm like, oh, I'm doing a bit of karate and I'll take somebody out. And a few weeks later, we were playing Villa and Colin Gibson, who later joined us, he broke through and I came running out the box and I mistimed it. And, I went, to, I went to kick with my left foot and the ball hadn't reached me. So I did like a karate kick, you know, where you go with one foot, bring it down and go with the other. And I caught the ball and Colin Gibson so hard and I did what I never do. I straight leg like you would in karate, which you don't do in soccer. I straight leg and I heard this crack. And I thought, I've, I've probably broken my leg. And I landed and I was fine. I looked on the ground. I've broken Colin Gibson's ribs. <laughs> and I hadn't meant to. And so we, we, we came off after the game and the lads were all in the dressing room. And they're like, I think we won 2-0. They were like, Gaz, you broke his ribs. Did you mean to do that? And I didn't. But I turned and I said, damn right I did. And if that happens again, I'll take the next one down with me. And from that moment on with Maisie, I got left alone. The lads were like... That goalkeeper's crazy. Plus, crazy. he does this karate crap. <laughs> Leave him alone. And that was that. And I was, I was cool. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> what an extraordinary 50 episodes, eh, Maisie? Here's to the next 50, Sam. 
I know, it's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully in the next 50, we'll be able to do a lot more in person, a lot less on Zoom. Yeah, I love it when we actually go and meet the players. It's so cool. There's nothing better just chatting over a, a coffee or a tea or whatever it is, just in the room. And I think you find the love more when you actually do that. It's so good. It really is. So, yeah, fingers crossed we can, um, we can have the next 50 somewhere around the world. That'd be great. Taskers on that one. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, and of course, to everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. It means so much that you enjoy these stories, that you resonate with the players and the stories that you hear. And um, we hope we're bringing you something that you like, because for us, it's an unbelievable privilege. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can. It's unitedpodcast at mainunited.co.uk. We're going to take a short break now, but that's absolutely perfect for you because United are playing on so many Mondays through January. Um, that by the time we come back on the 17th you won't have missed us because your Mondays will be fine of course that episode will come first on the app and then it will be everywhere else on the Tuesday until then have a wonderful new year enjoy January Uh, join me in wishing Maisie good luck with dry January and we will see you next time thank you so much for everyone listening happy new year bye bye see you later